Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we continue our Fantasy Files series with a little bit of a wild card. We are going through the handcuff situations from all 32 teams. I'll try and make this brief. Not going to give you five minutes on every backfield in the league. We got usually a Fantasy File episode devoted to each of those. But basically, I was going through, you know, each of these are basically set up to do one per team for the quarterback, the backfield, the wide receiver room. I was looking at the Patriots, and I was just thinking, like, okay, now might be a good time to get into some of these handcuffs because it's such a, you know, some of these are so unclear and we just don't really know what's going on until August. That I think there's better uh, things to research at times. So with that said, I'm going to go through the top fantasy football handcuffs. And for those that don't know, we are looking at the running back position, basically going through every single number two running back and theorizing uh, what might happen if the starter goes down, because not every, uh, obviously not every number two running back is created equal. You know, well, some of them are truly one injury away from getting on the field full-time other ones, their role doesn't change. And a number three guy will take the job. Other times it changes a little bit. So I broke them down to six tiers and we will get going with that. Tier one, these are your truly elite top four handcuffs. There are four of them. Number one, Kareem Hunt. I mean, don't be disappointed in the stretch he put together last year. He was a little bit banged up. I know he didn't, you know, rock your freaking socks off, but he still put together snap rates of 70%, 53% in a blowout, 38 to 7 blowout where the whole first team offense was done by the fourth quarter. Then 90% and 86% snap rates, average 18.8 touches per game during that stretch. I know Kareem Hunt is already going top 24, so he's not your class. Classic handcuff. Just realize he is absolutely a top five running back if anything happens to Nick Chubb. Tony Pollard uh, is also a top four handcuff. I mean, for him to get that 90% snap rate against the 49ers when Zeke missed time, also turned in the overall RB1 finish in that week. I think we all know just how good Pollard would be if Zeke is ever forced to miss time. I mean, truly, people. He, Pollard tied with Nick Chubb for the most missed tackles forced per rush, tied with Derrick Henry for yards after contact per rush over the past two years. I know those guys are doing it on high volume, but just to be in that conversation, whether it's you know heavily impacted by uh, you know your volume or not, still he's made a lot of special plays. Latavius Murray still belongs in this group. I mean, he supplied true top three value in back-to-back weeks when uh, Alvin Kamara missed time in 2019. They're comfortable throwing him the ball without Kamara, and they don't have another running back that's going to be taking those snaps. And honestly, if Taysom Hill ends up winning this job, we could see Latavius more involved in on a week-to-week basis because with Taysom Hill under center last year, Alvin Kamara had 50 carries. Latavius had 40, Taysom Hill 39. I mean, he's going to be fine. And Latavius is, you know, Unlike Pollard, unlike our next running back, actually does have more standalone flex value on a week-to-week basis. Next guy, Alexander Madison. And I know he burnt some of us people, by some of us, probably all of us in that Falcons game. But again, just like that aforementioned Kareem Hunt one, you know, when your team's down three, four touchdowns into the third quarter, it's going to be hard for any running back, regardless of who you are, to really turn that around. So important thing, Madison in three games last year, Cook missed two games, another game, I think he played fewer than like uh, 40% snaps or something. Madison at 23, 11, and 24 touches in those games. Vikings run first philosophy. It's it's a little bit lower here. Like maybe it's, uh, you know, I do think he deserves to be the number four handcuff because he doesn't have the same every down role as Hunt, Pollard, or Murray. Like we are going to see Amir Abdullah steal some pass down work. Uh, but at the same time, Madison, you know, just as the featured back of the Vikings, if Cook goes down, certainly deserves to be that RB4 in terms of handcuffs. All right, our tier two. 
this tier is defined as already part of a committee with room to flourish if disaster strikes. I got the Raiders here, uh, Kenyon Drake. I mean, he's apparently going to be more involved than really any of these other backups have been behind Josh Jacobs. The one issue with Josh Jacobs getting, you know, the true every down role over the years has been the presence of, you know, more pass catchers. So if they're slotting in Drake as a pass catcher, theoretically, if Jacobs goes down, Drake would take on a near every down role. Uh, Jamal Williams with the Detroit Lions. I mean, earlier this offseason, Anthony Lenz said Williams is what he considered their classic A back, and his B back is actually DeAndre Swift. I can't imagine Jamal Williams actually being, you know, the starter getting more touches than Swift, but you know, similar to Latavius, like it's a possibility in either way. Okay. Latavius isn't going to steal from Kamara. What I meant uh, similar to Latavius is that, uh, you know, Jamal is going to have like weekly flex value in addition to huge handcuff value of disaster strikes. So don't sleep on Jamal, even in the new environment. I also put the Jaguars on there, James Robinson. I mean, I understand people that ETN is set up to play this, you know, Percy Harvin-esque role, but do we really think like ETN isn't going to push for 200 carries? They just drafted the guy in the first round. I know Urban wants to focus on some of his receiving stuff. This, you know, he's going to lead the way in rush attempts and targets in this backfield, I believe. But if something happens to ETN, then we got James Robinson seeping back in to getting all the pass down work, which, as we saw last year, he can handle. Just don't sleep on yes, people. Carlos Hyde taking away some early down work. It would suck, but either way, James Robinson certainly has proven he can handle that workload. And if something happens to ETN, he'll be right back there as a borderline weekly RB1. Uh, with the Broncos, I mean, look, it's going to be. Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams to start, you know, hopefully Javante takes over sooner rather than later. But again, Javante is going to be a committee back at worst. And if something happens to Melvin, you know, with all due respect to Mike Boone, Royce Freeman, it makes sense that the 35th overall pick of the draft vaults up the depth chart and gets fed the sort of role that you draft someone to get uh, with the Packers, AJ Dillon, someone that I just scooped up in a draft I was doing about 15 minutes ago. And, you know, if you can get him in that RB 30 range, go ahead people, because as much as Aaron Jones is locked in as a starter, over the past four years, Jamal Williams has gotten 178, 148, 146, and 150 touches. I mean, Dylan only caught 21 passes in 35 games at Boston College. With that said, you know, we are getting some camp reports, lost in the whole thing about Jordan Love, you know, having these great practices. One of the uh, tweets was talking about how Dylan caught a wheel pass 30 yards downfield. Dylan might get that same role as Williams. I think it'll be shifted. I think, you know, Dylan might eat more into Jones's carries, and Jones gets more of the overall target share compared to when he's split with Jamal either way. I mean, when Williams missed two games last year, he posted 89%, 85% snap rates. As long as Dylan is competent, you know, at receiving, I think he would get a similar every down role should something happen to Aaron Jones. 49ers also fit this category. I mean, it's going to be Raheem Mostert, Trey Sermon and Wayne Gallman to some extent some sort of committee stretch maybe we get uh you know mitchell out there as well but with these guys you know as we saw last year when moster was going down jeff wilson was you know jeff mckinnon one week jeff wilson another the snap rates fluctuating their guys are going to have every week roles and if something happens to someone they have the potential for a lot more that's why on our 49ers episode i was saying like all these guys are good values because they're being priced to their floors like they're you know rb3s and fancy land you're drafting them in the bottom of the 20s early 30s like that's what we'd expect that everyone stays healthy but god forbid you know most gets hurt and all of a sudden sermon's starting by week three now we're looking at a potential you know high-end rb2 or something like that 
final team of the category, the Arizona Cardinals, uh, you know, had a recent podcast spoken about this chase Edmonds and uh, you know, James Connor and what they're going to be doing. Basically it seems like Connor is going to get most of the short yardage work. Maybe he even takes the full Kenyon Drake early down role. I do think Edmonds gets a chance to maybe not be a 90% snap guy, but at least like 60, 70 and get most of the targets. But hey, if something happens to Edmonds, you know, despite what all you, you know, Benjamin stands might think, I think James Conner, you know, with his relationship with the running back coach and all that, and just, you know, being a running back that can work on all three downs in his own right, James Conner is shaping up as someone that's also a very good late round option. All right, tier three. So this one I label, it's not a guarantee, but you can imagine, you know, shout out to that Billy Madison scene from uh, back in the day with Chris Farley. But, uh, you know, basically with these guys, we don't have like a proven situation of what's going to happen if the starter goes down, but I think it's feasible to assume that this backup running back could have an every down role if disaster strikes. This would be about where I draw the line though and say like, you should not necessarily be targeting these guys super heavily in fantasy land. Maybe the first guy, but after that, and I would say it right now, the first guy is Daryl Henderson and the Los Angeles Rams. Because again, the reason I'm so high on Cam Akers and a lot of you should be as well is because the potential for him to get that every down Todd Gurley workhorse role. And I would assume if Akers gets hurt, then Daryl Henderson would be next up to have this every down Todd Gurley-esque workhorse role. The only problem is that Henderson in his 28 games with the Rams has only hit 50% of the snaps on two occasions. So Akers like as much as people want to put down his end of the season stretch, like he was ripping off like every down workloads that we just haven't even seen them give Henderson. So I don't think it's that Henderson can't do that. I just think it's been a weird, you know, two years with them constantly playing behind first uh, Gurley. And then this last year, you know, having to deal with, everything going on with, uh, you know, acres and Malcolm Brown, uh, just realize again, the reason he's not in tier two is because we haven't seen Henderson get this actual featured role. I'm fine taking a gamble on him where he's going, like in the RB 40 range, because there is a good chance. I mean, again, I do think acres gets the featured role, but there's also a chance I'm wrong. It's more of a one, a one B situation. And I do consider Henderson a solid enough handcuff if a disaster strikes. So, uh, he would be the one guy from this group. I would say, go ahead and scoop up in your fantasy draft. So, Quickly to summarize here before we get to the rest of the kind of more muddled situations, these are basically the teams that I think you would be uh, well-versed to take a number two running back as part of like a zero RB strategy. Because I think the upside if the starter goes down uh, is immense. So those teams, the Browns and Kareem Hunt, Cowboys, Tony Pollard, Saints and Latavius Murray, Vikings and Alexander Madison. Uh, we have the Raiders and Kenyon Drake, the Lions and Jamal Williams, the Jaguars and James Robinson, the Broncos and Javante Williams, the Packers and A.J. Dillon, the 49ers and Trey Sermon or Raheem Mostert, whichever one you want to you know, consider there. They're both good values. Cardinals and James Conner and the Rams and Daryl Henderson. Now, not every single one of these guys is a great value uh, where they're going. Obviously, you know, Javante, James Robinson priced a bit higher than uh, some of these other guys we were talking about. I would just say, though, they have that sky high value if something happens to their team starter. And that's better than what you can say for a lot more of these running backs we're going to get to. So I'll go through these situations a little bit more quick, uh, a little more quickly. You can find this full article, 4,000 words up on pff.com as well. If you guys want to check out uh, more specifics, so peep that, but the Steelers seems like it's going to be Benny Snell right now. We've seen this backfield, you know, lead to guys like, you know, D'Angelo Williams, uh, even Stefan Ridley, uh, his corpse for a couple of years was still doing some good things in Pittsburgh on the occasional week 17 game getting fed. 
I'm just not sure sir. Benny Snell has the pass down work to, uh, you know, make it work and kind of work that far ahead of guys like Kalen Balazs, Jalen Samuels, Anthony McFarland. Hey, you know, he did handle touch counts of 19, 19, 10 and 21 in four games where Connor was either sideline or limited to under 20, under 20 snaps. So I guess Benny Snell is the RB two in Pittsburgh, but it's not for certain. And I think he'd be more of, you know, low end RB two than borderline RB one. If something happens to uh, Najee Harris uh, with the dolphins, like it seems like Miles Gaston is going to be a league guy, which would make Salvin Ahmed a potential handcuff. He did handle touch counts of 22, 17, and 24. We do now have uh, Malcolm Brown in there, though. And I think Brown's just, you know, that veteran that's good enough with everything to kind of prevent someone from completely taking over the backfield. So Salvin Ahmed, even though I see this scenario, a uh, little bearish on that actually coming to fruition. With the Kansas City Chiefs, Le'Veon's gone, which means Daryl Williams is locked up as the number two back behind Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, his final four games when CEH was trying to play uh, banged up throughout the playoffs, Daryl went 70%, 79%, 46%, 55% snap rates. The problem, and we'll get to the bills here in a bit, it's kind of the same thing like Devin Singletary. When Daryl Williams is the Chiefs' primary back, they just, they're more content to let Patrick Mahomes throw the ball. I mean, in those games I mentioned, he had nice snap rates, but his touches were just 14, 17, 14 and four. So, you know, Daryl, Hey, we'll take 12, 14 touches in the chiefs offense. I'm not saying he's useless. Just realize, you know, he doesn't have this sort of true high end RB one upside. You might think uh, Andy Reid's number two running back might have. The Giants are interesting because I'm not buying Saquon being uh, limited early on in the year. Just, Ask the doctors, people. Don't ask, you know, the injury-prone experts on Twitter. See what the doctors are saying. Everything I've seen, uh, you know, from Dr. Edwin Porras and even another physical therapist that was talking about it uh, last week in the case of Saquon as well on his road to recovery and his status as a freak athlete is going to help him overcome this. It's not like this was a December ACL tear. He's had ample time to get back out there. I saw the Jordan Renan report and everything, and I'm not saying that he's wrong with the idea the Giants don't plan on giving him a 90% snap rate to start the year. Uh, these are also things though where you know when jason garrett's orchestrating it i think if uh, saquon is healthy enough to suit up he'll, he will be getting fed either way with Devonte freeman with wayne gallman gone it's now looking like Devonte booker is going to be the you know potential handcuff to own so if you disagree with me people and you think that you know saquon is going to get hurt again or he's just not going to be out there for a while go get Devonte booker because Deion lewis is out of the picture too and we already have dave gentleman calling booker a three down running back uh back in april so booker actually you know we, we got some steps here like we got to take a little bit of a leap of faith but i would say out of these uh later guys Devonte booker might be going more over overlooked as a potential quality handcuff based on what he's been able to do. Now, this is PFS. I think our single worst offensive line going to next year, like 32nd. So I'm not saying Booker would necessarily thrive in that situation. But volume is volume. And if Saquon misses time again, Booker would be the favorite to get uh, most of the left leftover touches. With the Seahawks, I've soured on Rashad Penny behind Chris Carson as the offseason gone on because he's just not healthy still. He's still dealing with this knee injury. And we got Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, even Alex Collins, apparently, uh, you know, doing good things in training camp. There is a chance where, you know, even if Carson goes down, we just see Penny, if he's not the same talent, if he's not healthy enough to be the same talent, not have a chance to beat out these other guys. Uh, with the Chargers, so we're hearing that Justin Jackson could be, uh, you know, cut before the season, which would seemingly put Joshua Kelly as the 
favorite. And hey, you know, this guy, even though he's not Austin Eckler receiving level, who is, he caught all 23 of his targets last season and his only competition is six-round rookie Larry uh, Roundtree. So if the Justin Jackson rumors about him being cut are true, then Kelly could actually be shaping up as another quality late-round guy. You know, I am concerned, though, because we saw, you know, weeks 13 through 17 last season, he only played nine total offensive snaps. So they were really going more with Kalen Balaj, Justin Jackson, and, uh, you know, behind Eckler. So I'm concerned how, you know, Kelly wasn't able to do more as a rookie. His efficiency numbers were awful uh, compared to everyone. But, you know, the offensive line did improve, did improve. And if they're uh, giving him this, you know, hat tip and leaving Justin Jackson out of the picture, only drafting the six-round running back, I could see how Joshua Kelly could be, you know, a lower middle-class man's version of Melvin Gordon in this offense. More than anything, though, it's another reason to draft Austin Eckler, everybody. Tier four, these are potentially perceived as a two one-dimensional backups to truly take on a featured role with the Patriots, which kind of sparked this. I mean, you know, Sonny Michelle, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, Damian Harris, they have the pass down issues. James White, we know they're not going to give him a big early down role. Regardless of who gets injured, like we're just still looking at a committee of probably at least two or three backs. Uh, with the Ravens, you know, last year when J.K. Dobbins missed one game, Gus Edwards, and this was a game where, uh, you know, they lost the Steelers 19 to 14. That was where I think they had a uh, RG three and then like trace McSorley under center, but Edwards only played 51% of the offensive snaps. Justice Hill was right there at 49%. So I just, even though Gus made a few random nice downfield catches, I think they liked justice Hill enough to keep him almost as like a one B guy. If Dobbins misses time uh, with the Bengals. So yeah, you know, if, if you think Mixon's going to go down this year, you would think that you'd be uh, pretty hyped about Samaj P Ryan. I'm not so sure he's going to get the pass down work that we saw you have Bernard uh, really limit his touches throughout the second half of last year. And I think, you know, if Mixon does get hurt again, we just see, you know, more of a three back committee with P Ryan, Travion Williams and Chris Evans. Evans might be more so the guy to target just from the standpoint where they seem, seem to really like his receiving skills, you know, wouldn't be the first Michigan Wolverine to, you know, just not be utilized as well as he should have been in college. So, you know, Chris Evans over Smaja P Ryan, it's certainly a, a debate I'd be willing to have. Uh, Tennessee Titans, Jerry, Jeremy McNichols or Darrington Evans are going to be there. And McNichols is the only issue for Evans to overcome. Uh, one of the funniest reports from last year uh, from Peter King, you know, Peter's done great stuff over the years. I don't want to be mean the guy, but one of his reports uh, from the summer was that Darrington Evans has a chance to be a poor man's Alvin Kamara. So, you know, maybe the early season hamstring injury uh, just erased that pipe dream. But I think um, maybe the report was a little bit off in that situation to put it uh, kindly. But yeah, I think if, you know, Henry goes down Evans would be the back to own because of the potential for him to be this poor man's Alvin Kamara uh, but the problem is Jerry McNichols seems to be someone they're comfortable with I mean McNichols was taking Derrick Henry off the field for 30 40 percent of the snaps and certain blowouts so I'm just not all that confident that you know if they won't even give Derrick freaking Henry a true every snap role week in and week out I have a hard time believing that Darrington Evans would get that if Henry misses time Buccaneers, we got this issue where, you know, same thing with the Patriots, basically between Fournette, Rojo, Giovanni Bernard, and Keyshawn Vaughn. Even if two guys get hurt, like we're still going to see a two or three back committee. And to me, that's just, uh, you know, problematic when trying to consider the huge upside these guys could have. Everyone's pretty affordable. I'm not saying not to draft Buccaneers backs. Uh, just realize I don't really see a huge pathway to, you know, Fournette or Rojo being this, you know, season long RB1. Uh, and then with the Panthers, you know, Mike Davis crushed it last year for us but this year you know will chuba hubbard chuba hubbard be uh you know 
the same caliber three down back. I don't really think so. We got Trent Cannon, Reggie Bonifon there, you know, Chuba, when he was at Oklahoma state, mostly just using the screen game. I wasn't overly impressed uh, looking at some of the, uh, you know, advanced stats with what he could do as a receiver. And that's the question. Like Chuba might be the favorite to lead in uh, rushing, but we don't want that. We want the receiving back at a minimum. And I think it just ended up being, you know, a committee and a not great offense that you'd probably be better off staying away from. Tier five, these are guys, you know, number two backs who I wouldn't expect their uh, role to really change all that much. If the team starter goes down. Starting with the Bills, I do consider Devin Singletary number two back here. And as we saw last year when Moss missed time, they basically just brought TJ Yeldon up, didn't change Singletary's role all that much. And when Singletary does play a lot, they're usually content to just pass the ball to their heart's desires. When Matt Breida there's the RB3, I would expect Breida to not be active during normal weeks and then come and, uh, you know, be the RB2 if Moss misses time with the Colts. Naeem Hines, like, again, if Jonathan Taylor misses time, it's going to be probably more early down work for Wilkins, Mac, maybe an extra carry or two for Hines, but his role just wouldn't change all that much. He is their pass down back. It's a handful of carries. I'm not saying he couldn't handle more, but we just have Mac and Wilkins, two guys the Colts really like. I know the Colts like them more than you know, most of the fantasy public does. And I just think, uh, you know, again, Taylor goes down, Hines would still be in a two or three back committee. Same reasoning with Washington. J.D. McKissick just isn't ever going to get that that three down role as great as an asset as he might be as a receiver. We just know that he's, you know, three injuries away probably from being their consistent early down back. Same thing with the Eagles. Everyone knows Miles Sanders could be the lead back. But behind that, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Boston Scott, Carryon Johnson, Jordan Howard, Kenneth Gamewell. I think Gamewell deserves to be, you know, the second running back drafted. His chance to be, you know, Nick Sirianni's, you know, new look, Naeem Hines, speaking of the devil. But it's just a mystery. Like, it could be Scott, who was getting a more or less featured role without Sanders last year. It could be Scott as the pass down guy with Carryon and or Jordan early downs and Kenneth Gamewell, like, doing extra. I don't know. There's a lot of, you know, mediocreness going there with no disrespect to uh, what Gamewell could bring to the table. And either way, I just don't think anyone's going to have enough touches in an offense with a scrambling quarterback uh, to make it worth it. And then with the Chicago Bears, I mean, look, if something happens to David Montgomery, like everyone's going to be screaming for maybe not. Hopefully people wise up. If you're listening to this podcast, you won't be screaming that. But I can see the same thing like last year when, uh, when Saquon Barkley initially got hurt, people said, oh, Deion Lewis is the RB2. He's going to be the guy. No, Deion Lewis's role was cemented as the pass down back. So when Saquon got hurt, we saw Devontae Freeman become the guy. And then Wayne Gallman become the guy. Same thing in Chicago. If David Montgomery gets hurt, it's not going to become the three gun. Tariq Cohen every down show. It's going to be Damian Williams taking a ton of snaps now and Tariq Cohen's role probably not changing that much. Final three points, tier six. Who the hell knows what's going on here to begin with? New York Jets. We got Tevin Coleman, who has the, you know, the ex, he's coming over with the 49ers coaches. So Michael Pirine is the incumbent uh, leader of the backfield. Michael Carter, highest drafted back from the new regime. Ty Johnson, Josh Adams have moonlighted in committees uh, respectively over the years as well. I get that Carter is the highest drafted guy, but, you know, Let's not get too carried away, everyone. As we all know, history of fourth round, later rookies at running back, not too good. And I just think that, you know, there's a good chance Coleman or P. Ryan or even Ty Johnson just make this a committee. We have no idea what it's going to be in New York. And if Carter is going to be priced in the RB 30s or 40s, yeah, I'll take that upside. Just be careful about taking him over, you know, guys like A.J. Dillon, the, hand, the other really good handcuffs we know about because – 
as much as he could be the starter. Like it could also just be a random three back committee. We have no, we have no idea what's going on with the jets backfield. I'm fine to embrace uncertainty. As long as they're priced closer to their floor and ceiling We're Carter right now, he's going a little bit closer to his ceiling than I'm comfortable with uh, Houston Texans. I mean, David Johnson, seemingly the starter, but then we got Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay and Rex Burkhead, apparently going to get touches. And I mean, it's going to be a bottom five offense without Deshaun Watson bottom five is probably putting it lightly. Uh, and if Tyron Taylor's under center, that's hurting these guys as well. As we talked about the scrambling quarterbacks. So again, if you just don't want to draft anyone from the Houston Texans this year, not a bad strategy. And finally, we got the Atlanta Falcons and I fully expect Mike Davis to be the starter here. We didn't have the running back coach say the doors wide open for any of Davis quadri Allison, Javion Hawkins, or my guy Cordero Patterson to start again. I think Davis is just, he's good enough to get the job two years, 5.5 million. That's not insignificant. You know, Hawkins, I, I see again, some love. He's ultimately a five foot nine, 183 pound undrafted free agent. You know, everyone wants to say, Oh, maybe he'll be the next James Robinson. James Robinson is the only James Robinson we've pretty much ever seen. Lindsay got close, but even he wasn't getting fed in the same extent of James Robinson in terms of these undrafted rookies. So Hawkins, not quite buying it. I would love my guys see to get the full run, not quite buying that. And I think Allison is mostly just a guy himself. With that said, though, like, so I'm expecting Davis to be a starter, probably. If Davis gets hurt, who the hell knows what's going on behind him in that situation. So that's going to wrap up this episode. Everyone, we made it through all, all 32 teams. Try to do so in a timely manner. Again, thank you as always for tuning in to the PFF fantasy football podcast. Have a couple notes here because we got some good sales coming your way. Always getting messages on, you know, Hey, Ian, how can I get the best deal with PFF? Everybody, we have the code for you. Fantasy football season is here. And we are now offering 40% off any PFF subscription to all first time subscribers with promo code save 40. You'll get access to PFS fantasy football draft guide complete with our player rankings and projections college football preview magazine, first edition of the 2022 NFL draft guide and all the PFS locked article content. Again, that's promo code save 40 for 40% off any PFS subscription, get access to all the PFS fantasy tools for five 99. Not too bad, everybody. That's going to do it. Thank you again for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes out every single day. I'm Ian Harditz. Until next time, take care, everybody. 